0: Welcome to another Godcast from Whosoever, an online magazine for gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender Christians. I'm Candace Shalou hodge the founder and editor of Whosoever. Thank you for joining us. As they've done the past two years, 17 young adults will pile onto a bus and visit 15 conservative colleges around the country. Zach Rittenhouse is taking part in this year's Soul Force Equality bus ride, and he'll tell us why he wanted to take two months to bring people a message of God's love. The word liberal has most often been used as an insult, but Mike Piazza, the dean of the Cathedral of Hope in Dallas, Texas, the largest GLBT church in the world, says it's time to reclaim that word as well as our prophetic power. We'll talk to him about that. First, I'm pleased to say that my new book, Bulletproof Faith, A Spiritual Survival Guide for Gay and Lesbian Christians, published by Josie Bass, is now in bookstores. I've made a few appearances, and done a few readings, and have heard many positive things about the book. When you get your copy, be sure and visit the official website for the book at www.bulletproofbook.com and download a free 25-page study guide for personal or group use. If you still haven't ordered your copy, you can do that too at bulletproofbook.com. And I'm still on the lookout for other places to do workshops readings, and signings. If you're interested in having me come to your church to speak, do a workshop, or sign books, please drop me an email at editor at whosoever.org. This week, 21-year-old Zach Rittenhouse is joining 16 other young adults for the 2008 Soul Force Equality Ride. They'll visit 15 campuses of conservative Christian colleges around the country. Zach comes from a small rural conservative southern Ohio town called Frankfort. He says he was a typical active member in church youth group. He went on summer mission trips, Friday night football gatherings after the game, and youth choir. They were all a part of his life. He says he prayed to be straight when he realized he was gay, but now he wants to help other kids in his situation. understand that God loves them and created them just as they are. I asked Zach to tell us more about himself and why he's going on this trip.
1: I grew up in a small farming community. Um, I, I'm referring to it as the land where John Deere and Flannel reign supreme <laughs> and where there's a, a church on every corner. When I was 14 realized I was gay, I was like, this can't happen here. Not at all. Just because of the amount of conservatism that was in my hometown in Southern Ohio where I grew up, and just the area itself. And so I it, it eventually came out uh, when I was 15 to a couple friends in high school. They then proceeded to out me to mm. everyone else. Um, it's really amazing how fast news like that gets around in a, in a high school of 400 people. Um, I've been out uh, since I was 15, and um, I'm 21 now. Uh-huh. I've uh, been going to school um, for communications and public advocacy um, through Ohio University. I'm really trying to figure out my place in the world that time, so I've taken some breaks here and there. And, you know, the Equality Ride is just another one of those breaks to figure out, you know, who I am in this world and what it means to be me and this journey of us.
2: And what happened when you were outed in in high school. I had uh, mm. the word
1: fag written on my backpack in black permanent marker,
2: oh. and
1: it was a really nice L.L. Bean backpack that I had wanted for a while, and so I wasn't going to let that stop me. And it happened when I, like, left the room to go to, to, to go do something. I came back, and it was there. Oh. So I then grabbed a permanent marker and wrote, and proud on it, and the next... <laughs> For the and for, so for the next four years of high school, I walked around with that on, with that on my back. So I guess that would be my first foray into uh, standing up for myself as well as other, you know, LGBT students. One of my favorite stories, which is also one of the worst ones, mm-hmm. was when I was um, edited out of my high school prom video. I had taken my boyfriend to prom, and we do a, a big walk-in ceremony with all the couples. Mm-hmm. And they they call our names. We go front and center, and everything else. And we were a part of that. But when we watched the video of it that Monday morning after prom, um, I was conveniently edited out. So it's like the whole trying to figure out. Okay, like in this community, it's been very clear that they don't want me here. But mm-hmm. I am here. I'm a product of this of this community, and I'm gay. So how do I fit in? How do I use this? Kind of to, to my advantage to really reach out to others.
2: So what made you decide to go on the Soul Force Equality ride this year?
1: One of my uh, good friends suggested uh, that I do it. Um, his name's is uh, Brandon Hausman, and we were working together summer of 07 uh, trying to put together a gay-straight alliance at our local college branch, University of, 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 of Ohio U. And we were working on stuff. I was, you know, It was his idea, and he asked me to help get it together because I had a lot of community contacts. And so we we're sitting there, we we're talking, and we came across the Salesforce website, and he read about the Equality Ride, and he passed it to me because, you know, while I've always been gay, I've always been, I've always considered myself a strong person of faith, mm-hmm. and felt that those two, those two identities can very much so go, go together. And so he's like, hey Zach, why don't you check this out? So he sent me in the information. I read about it. I YouTubed some videos, and I was like, I'm going to be on this bus one way or another. <laughs> I'm going to be on this bus. So
2: I applied, and here I am. What are you hoping to accomplish on the ride?
1: One thing that I'm hoping to accomplish on the ride is to be a voice for the voiceless. There are so many students on the campuses that we are going to visit that can't come out, that Mm -hmm. can't talk about what it means to be a lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans person of faith. They can't talk about it, nor do they have anyone... That's affirming them, saying to them, you know, God loves and affirms you just the way you are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I want to be that voice because this crisis of faith that is happening within the within these schools is it's really, really a powerful thing. You know, mm-hmm. these students are you know hurting themselves physically, sometimes even going as far, as taking their own life over this issue. Yeah. And when the doctrine that, you know, as a person of faith that I believe in, when I know that's causing someone, that's causing someone else in my community to hurt, you know, as a person of faith, I can't stand by and let that happen. I have to stand up and do something.
2: So how did you reconcile your spirituality and sexuality?
1: I've always had a very, I guess, different understanding of who God was Mm -hmm. um, in my life from my family. Um, A lot of the churches we went to, Painted this picture of God as this benevolent dictator, this strong yet distant force.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I'm like, that's not the God I know, you know. And I'm like, I know we're talking about the same God here, but you know, Mm -hmm. my God is loving. He's caring, you know, always there unconditionally, you know, no matter what I'm going through, you know, I can always, I can always, always count on him. So that really like got me thinking about, you know, what the Bible really says and doesn't say about LGBT people. So I did a lot of own, a lot of my own independent research and reading to really figure it out. Because when you when you're growing up in a conservative Christian area, you know two verses. You know John 3:16, god's uh-huh. God loved the world, that He was only only begotten Son. And you know Leviticus
2: 18.22. (laughs) Yep. You know,
1: a man man shall not lie with another man. You know, I say that, you know, kind of jokingly, but, you know, those are the two verses that growing up that I always knew and couldn't start off at any time. So I really had to get into what it meant to be gay, what it meant to be Christian, where those identities intersect. And, you know, I learned through my own research and studying and reading a lot of really great books that, you know, being gay, being Christian is a great possibility. Mm -hmm. It's the the one for me, and I wouldn't have it any other way. When
2: when you get a chance to talk to some of these students that you'll be meeting uh, along the trip, what will you say to them?
1: What I'll say to them is really going to depend on how they approach me.
2: Mm.
1: Because, like, we're going to have students approach us like, hey, let's go talk. And well, then we'll have to say, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of gay people like
2: you. Right.
1: <laughs> so, you know, like how I respond is going to be different, but it's going to have the same message of love and encouragement of all people, including LGBT people of faith.
2: I know right before the ride started, there was a possibility that that it wouldn't even take place, that you guys didn't have enough money to get on the road. Uh, what happened? And, and apparently that got solved. You, you guys are, are, are going on the trip.
1: Twenty-four hours before um, we were all to board a plane to meet up again and and be part of this week of training, we, we got phone calls from Katie and Jarrett, who are the directors and leaders of this year's Equality Ride, and the phone call was basically like, so right now, um, we just had a really big grant that we thought we had fall through
2: mm.
1: in the amount of $100,000, and we don't know if the ride's going to happen tomorrow or not. And, like, hearing those words, Mm. like, it didn't register at first because it was like, what? No, this is a joke. Come on, (laughs) you
2: know.
1: Yeah. Not a a funny one, but a joke nonetheless. Right. And we were, it was like, wow, this is a real possibility. And, you know, this is, you know, a cause and a mission that I believe in wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. And I've never prayed and cried so hard for an hour before because we were told that, if we didn't raise $40,000 in one hour, that the ride would not happen. I immediately, I emailed everyone I knew. People I hadn't talked to in years, t- t- telling them about the ride, asking them to donate a little something. Mm-hmm. I made cold calls to people. I was calling everybody I could think of because, and the only thing that kept playing through my head were the students on the campus who are so, who so need to hear our message
2: mm-hmm. that
1: might not have heard it. The students on the campuses that are hurting and suffering in the closet that where they, and they might not have heard our message because we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have been, been able to go. We're not out of the woods yet. We got enough money to get us started, but we're still a little ways off from where we actually need to be. Okay. So any help that, you know, we can get financially from any donors is still, of course, very much welcome and very much needed and very much at least I feel, for a worthy cause.
0: Zach will be blogging for Whosoever about his experiences on the road. You can read his thoughts and leave your comments at equalityridewhosoever.blogspot.com. If you want to contribute to the ride, go to equalityride.com. by The Advocate Magazine as one of the most influential people in the gay and lesbian movement, Michael Piazza has been using that influence as an author and social justice advocate. He currently serves as the dean of the Cathedral of Hope in Dallas, Texas. He's written five books, including Holy Homosexuals and Rainbow Family Values. I talked with Piazza recently when he visited Garden of Grace United Church of Christ here in Columbia, South Carolina. We talked first about his latest book, Prophetic Renewal.
3: Well, you know, actually, I have several new ones out. We've redone um, the the whole Homosexuals, which has been out for oh my gosh, twelve years, I guess now, and we is uh, an updated version of it with some new um, information and material, and it's called "Gay by God." And so that was one of the books. Um, the newest book I have out is called "Prophetic Renewal," and the the idea is that for the liberal church to grow, uh, we're going to have to own our prophetic power, our prophetic ministry. That it really is like for the United Church of Christ, for example, um, they're being open to gay and lesbian folks being ordained since 1972, and then in this, you know, Senate before last, they actually supported lesbian and gay marriage, same-gender marriage, and um, and they lost some folks around that, and what I think there's, there um, is essential for them is for them to own it, to just say, this is who we are, this is what we do, this is who we've always been, and to say, this is our badge of honor, because I think their stand around same-gender marriage, while they may be in the minority, they're certainly in the minority in terms of churches, but in the minority, even in America, they only are slightly there. Mm-hmm. And as the world shifts toward them, if they'll own that as a badge of honor, rather than sort of being apologetic about it or tentative about it, but let it be there, become their identity, not not so much because it's a gay issue, but because the gay issues become the dividing line right. um, in the church. And so they're on the correct side of history, and right now they're the only church on the correct side of history. So you take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And, and sort of if there is any hope for the liberal church it is that, that to, to, to sort of own that advantage. They were right about women's ordination. They were right about um, the gay issue all along. They've been right on lots of issues but they've been sort of they've done the right thing, but they've not owned it as their identity. And I think that's really what's got to happen. The problem with the United Church of Christ, of course, is that it's not yet clear what it means to be the United Church of Christ. And there's still too many people, that, you know, four traditions that came together, right. and too many congregations still identify with those those old traditions. Mm-hmm. And what, what is the United Church of Christ future are congregations um, like ours at the Cathedral of Hope, that we didn't join the German Reformed Church, we didn't join the Congregational Church, we didn't join the Christian Church, we didn't re- join any of those or, um, traditions. We know really nothing about them. Mm-hmm. We joined the United Church of Christ who it is. We join a mainline denomination that ordains women, that ordains lesbian gay folks, that supports um, civil rights for LGBT folks. That's the denomination we joined. And so I think the only hope of that denomination is for it to rise up and be that denomination, not the denominations that it used to be, but be who it is now.
0: Well, and Cathedral of Hope being the largest gay and lesbian uh, congregation in in the world, right. am I saying? That's or, right, yeah. Um, you left the largest gay and lesbian denomination, the Metropolitan Community right. Church, to go to the United Church of Christ. Why Why was that?
3: Well, it was a 10-year process. We started in 1997, actually, in dialogue with the UCC, because we knew that was the direction that we really needed to go in. Here was a mainline denomination, a more liberal denomination, that, um, that w- agreed with us, or that we agreed with, on these issues. And the MCC, you know, was founded by a former Pentecostal, and it, it's the only way that could have happened. His prophetic Pentecostal ministry gave birth to a movement that changed the world. Mm-hmm. And nothing should ever or could ever take away from that. He is, you know, he is our hero in that regard. And so I don't want to diminish that in any way. But the Cathedral of Hope over the years evolved into a much more liberal congregation than the Metropolitan Community Church was as a denomination. Theologically, we were much more liberal. Um, and more liturgical and more mainline. Mm-hmm. And so it was a sort of natural evolution for us. And, um, not without its pain and struggles, but, um, but it was a natural evolution. And now, being a part of the United Church of Christ has been really exciting because it's given me a whole sort of new ministry. And I've been really excited about doing it.
0: Tell me about that ministry. What have you been, do- what have you been doing as the dean now yeah. of the cathedral?
3: Well, um, three years ago, at, at my 17th anniversary, I retired as the senior pastor. And the church elected, actually a woman that I had hired, um, and uh, she was United Church of Christ a clergy person, and they elected her as the senior pastor. And so the church did this sort of shift from being this sort of prophetic institution in one of the most conservative cities in America to being a more um, traditional, institutional church. You know, the city of Dallas changed on LGBT issues dramatically. And so the prophetic ministry that we had wasn't as needed as it had been in the you know, 80s and 90s. And so um, so it was a a sort of appropriate evolution for the life of that congregation. Um, But what they didn't want to do is let go of their prophetic edge. Mm -hmm. You know, what got them there, they didn't want to let go of. They wanted to change it a little bit. They wanted to continue struggling for LGBT rights. But they also wanted to struggle for the rights of other people Mm -hmm. um, and to struggle about other other justice issues. And so, um, so I've stayed on as the dean, and we formed a nonprofit called Hope for Peace and Justice, um, and Hope for Peace and Justice is actually the sort of prophetic justice ministry of the Cathedral of Hope. So I kind of wear two hats. Mm-hmm. I am the president of Hope for Peace and Justice, so I do this justice ministry. And I'm the dean of the Cathedral of Hope, which means I'm the national pastor. When the church took the name Cathedral, mm-hmm. it said it wanted to be a church large enough to be resource a resource center church for other churches. And so that's really why they call themselves a cathedral. And that's sort of my job now, is to sort of um, spearhead that. So I write books, and I travel around and do seminars and workshops and um, preach in various churches, and, and I've enjoyed it a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. And so basically what I've done is say, what did we learn at the Cathedral of Hope through all those years? How did we take a relatively decent congregation that was struggling and at the verge of, of disaster as a result of the AIDS ministry and financial um, situations and turn it around to make it one of the largest, uh, well, the largest gay and lesbian church, but one of the largest liberal churches in America mm-hmm. and still a vibrant and thriving church in Dallas, Texas, of all places. Yeah. I mean, being a large gay and lesbian church in Dallas, Texas is odd, but being a really large liberal church, I mean, the only mega liberal church in the South. It's just really a strange, strange thing, yeah. but it's been exciting. And so we've been sort of taking that story around and sharing it with people.
0: You were talking about your church moving into other justice areas, moving sort of away from being that place that tells the gay and lesbian p- person that they're okay with God, you know, that, that they get that message every Sunday, and moving more into other areas, mm-hmm. immigration, moving uh, against the death penalty, other justice areas. How do we get our community to stop arguing about the Bible and move forward and just go and do and live as mm-hmm. Christ has instructed us instead of just bogging ourselves down with uh, proof text wars? Exactly.
3: I, well, yeah, because we're not going to win that, yeah. and they're not going to win it either. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a draw. They've got their version, we've got ours, so there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think one of maybe the only way we'll ever motivate our community to get involved in other justice issues is to appeal to our self-interest. Hmm. You know, we are never going to win on civil rights, full civil rights, the marriage issues, for example, in Texas, hmm. without the support of African Americans and Hispanics. Right. Without, And so if we want those communities to stand with us and for us, we need to be about standing with them and for them. Mm-hmm. We need to care about immigration issues, not because we are immigrants, though some of us are, but because that's a, an issue, of concern, a justice issue for another community. Right. And so if we will stand with them, they will stand with us. But but why should they? Why should they get out there and fight for civil rights, for marriage rights, mm-hmm. for lesbian gay folks, mm-hmm. when we haven't stood with them? Same, I think the same thing is true of the African-American community. You I know, recently spoke at a rally, uh, like a gun violence rally in the African-American community. And I know almost nothing about gun violence. and didn't, I mean, it just wasn't one of those issues that I'd ever even had to read up on it before I gave the speech. <laughs> but the reason I did was I wanted those people who were gathered for that issue to know that I was supportive of the, their causes, their, what they cared about. And I wanted them to be supportive of mine and to, to sort of create alliances uh, that way. And so I think we have to, to cross the aisle, if you will, um, to find friends and to, to be be friends to other communities because, um, you know, the interesting thing is, of course, the, the lesbian gay community is not a monolithic community either. Oh, no. You know, we have, you know, minority communities within ours. And so we have sort of a, a vested interest. And, you know, the bottom line is Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what doing justice is all about. So I, I do think one of the things that's really important is for our community to, to express the same sort of outrage about injustices in other communities as we would about injustice in our own community. Yeah. Um, and, and until we do that, we're going to continue being a very small minority d- dependent upon the courts, and, and the mm-hmm. courts are going to work for us in some places, and in some places they're not.
0: Yeah, An injustice anywhere is an injustice everywhere. Exactly.
3: Yeah. exactly.
0: You use the word liberal very boldly, that uh, you proclaim it without shame without irony um how can we move to reclaim i mean we're we're reclaiming words all the time queer and dyke and fag how can we reclaim liberal even even for our more politically conservative brothers and sisters in the gay and lesbian movement how can they come to, to to feel more comfortable in a liberal community
3: for me, at least, it came from, in Texas, saying the word gay and lesbian out loud on television, in public, as often as I possibly could. <laughs> Bill says, you know, I've worked for 20 years to desensitize Texans to this issue, and finally they're just over it. Uh-huh. So, so it is sort of that, and that is some of the way I use the word liberal, is just sort of to desensitize people, because I do think, by and large, again, we're a diverse community, but by and large, LGBT people do tend to be more politically liberal and more socially liberal on almost every issue. Not... Universally, but but we—that is our tendency, and and, um, and we need to be stop being apologetic about it. You know, if if caring about civil rights for African Americans, if caring about equality for women, if caring about um, marriage for LGBT communities, if caring about the environment, if caring about peace is liberal, then let's be liberal. Let's own it and, and define it for ourselves. You know, the, the religious right and the the political right has made it into a four letter word,
2: mm-hmm.
3: but they haven't really defined it. Yeah. And so, uh, by default, we let them
0: arugula. Yeah, That's how they've defined exactly. You, eat arugula and drive a Volvo. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So, so we've got to be the one to define it, and we can't define it unless we're willing to claim it. Oh. And just like um we've got, to, we had, we had to reclaim our own language around gay and lesbian, and stop being talked about as homosexuals. Mm-hmm. And and we did that, and we changed the society about that. If we're going to find a political context for the LGBT community, for the majority of the LGBT community we've got to reclaim the idea that liberal is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And that historically the liberal movement in this country is the reason we have you know, public education the, um, and civil liberties and so forth. So.
0: Well, the, the evangel in the evangelical church, right. there's a movement afoot called the Emergent Movement.
3: Right, yeah. And
0: that they are trying to sort of reclaim the word evangelical and take it away from the two issues that it's become exactly, af- yeah. associated with, abortion and gay marriage. So... What do you think about that do you take a model from that because I mean evangelicals in their history were anti slavery i mean exactly, this yeah. this, was, this was a very liberal movement when the evangelical movement began, and you see the evangelicals now starting to reclaim some of these things like the environment yeah. immigration issues and and they still are saying, okay, you know we 've settled." What we feel on the same gender marriage and abortion, we're, we're, we're again it. Yeah. So so that's been settled. Let's move on to other things. But you see the evangelicals embracing what have been traditionally been liberal uh, movements and liberal causes. Yeah. Do you think there's maybe a way that that our community can? can coexist in with evangelicals or make evangelicals realize that liberal isn't a dirty word either. Yeah.
3: Well, I think what we do is to find our common ground, the things on which we do agree, and then agree to disagree on the other things. The one thing that we... I mean, we have got to be, in Jesus' words, as cunning as a serpent and as innocent as a dog. We've got to learn from Karl Rove, who knows how to frame issues. That's the thing. The Republicans have known how to frame and how to reframe the issue, and we don't. We have gotten our butts kicked on the marriage thing. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason I'm convinced is we haven't known how to talk about it. We keep talking about wanting the right to marry. Mm -hmm. The truth of the matter is... We all have the right to marry. My partner and I got married in 1980 in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. A city council person was present at that wedding. We got married. So I'm not asking for the right to marry. You can't stop our churches from marrying same-gender couples. What we're asking for, though, is civil rights, equal rights. And so what we need to do is reframe this as an issue of discrimination, that we are giving special rights rights. To heterosexual taxpayers mm-hmm. and denying those same rights to gay and lesbian taxpayers. That's discrimination. The marriage thing, the church will decide who is going to marry and who is not. And our church will marry same gender couples. But the state doesn't have the right. To treat one set of taxpayers one way and another tax set of taxpayers another so we've let them frame it in terms of marriage as if it's a religious argument which we will continue to lose mm-hmm. always but if we can learn that we have freedom of religion in this country our churches the UCC church the Quakers the unitarians the metropolitan Community church all those churches will marry us mm-hmm what I need from the government is the same civil rights that my tax dollar pays for and that the heterosexuals get. That's all. And so I think that even with the evangelicals, if you frame it in terms of like religious freedom,
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
3: they get that. Yeah. They may disagree with how we worship God, but they want us to have the right to worship God as we choose. Right. For us, this is a religious issue. But
0: they don't want to take it from them.
3: That's right. That's yeah. right. They don't want the government telling them how they... And so, and so Jerry Falwell... Um, God rest his soul actually uh, fought on behalf of uh, Reverend Moon mm-hmm. right. um, a- in the courts because he wanted you know and he knew that the issues cut both ways mm-hmm. and so I think we have to find our common ground there and our common ground with evangelicals is the freedom of religion the the freedom to worship God as we choose without government interference mm-hmm. now my church does that by marrying same gender couples so they have a vested interest in, defend- in protecting my civil rights around that yeah. and, I- and I think so what we've got to do is be cunning about it. We've got to frame the issues strategically and learn that language matters. Oh, yes.
0: Oh, yes. Very much so. Yeah. Um, I want to just circle back around to your book for a moment and just give you a chance to, to say what prophetic renewal is and, and how that can apply to, to our churches and our communities.
3: Yeah, I'm really bad at selling books, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I talk about everything else with my book. Um, actually, the reason I wrote prophetic renewal was to, um, to put down in black and white a, a parable. About what happened at the Cathedral of Hope, how a small church that was dying, literally dying of AIDS, um, was able to turn around and explode and become um, a mega church, a mega liberal church. And so, I, I you know, when you have to start teaching, um, you have to become consciously competent. And so, I had to look back and say, okay, what it was it we did right, and what was it we did wrong. And to put it down in black and white. And so that was sort of the exercise that I went through. And the result of it was Prophetic Renewal, the book. Um, The book just describes the the mistakes that we made along the way. But the things that we learned that actually worked and why it is that our prophetic voice in Dallas, Texas, is what gave birth to that congregation. And if it can work in Dallas, I think it can work anywhere. That's right.
0: Rev. Michael Piazza,
3: thank you. I appreciate oh, yes. your time. I'm honored. It's an honor to be with you. So, thank you.
0: For more information about Michael Piazza and his ministry, visit the Cathedral of Hope website at cathedralofhope.com. dot com. Thank you so much for joining us for another Whosoever Magazine Godcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can tell us your thoughts, comments, or suggestions by writing to us. Our email address is godcast at whosoever.org. Or you can leave comments at our blog at whosoeverpods.blogspot.com. The theme music for our program has been graciously provided by Adam Kirley. Other music included samples from Heavy Mellow and Jeff Wall, all available from magnatune.com. If you'd like to join the Whosoever community, we have many online groups that you can join for fun and support. You can find Whosoeverans in your area when you join our Rainbow Fish groups. To find that more, go to whosoever.org slash Rainbow Fish. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider making a monetary donation to our ministry. It does take money to produce and broadcast this program and, of course, to keep our ministry on the web, where we've been a valuable resource to our community for more than a decade. You can donate by credit card by going to our website at whosoever.org slash donate, or you can Send checks to Whosoever Ministries Incorporated, Post Office Box 727, Camden, South Carolina 29021. Remember, Whosoever is a 501c3 nonprofit, that means all donations are tax deductible. Thank you so much for listening. May God bless you and keep you until we meet again.